I recently had a birthday, and as with most birthdays, you take a moment to reflect on where you've been at different phases of your life. Well, you know, commercial real estate asset classes actually reflect different phases of life. Investors choose to invest in certain types of properties that appeal to individuals who may lease from them at different phases of life. So for example, you might have student housing while one is in college. Uh, you might invest in multifamily, that a building that has a lot of studios and one bedrooms for people who are starting out. Perhaps in a luxury multifamily property that's got spas and dog runs and pools and things like that. In today's segment, in this podcast of CRE with CBC Worldwide, we're going to talk about senior living. I'm Dan Spiegel, Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Cobalt Bank Commercial. And today, I'm pleased to welcome Susan King, Principal of HED. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Dan. I'm delighted to be here. Susan is a registered architect and principal at HED, one of the oldest and largest architecture and engineering firms in the country. With over 35 years of experience, Susan became the third woman principal at HED in 2007, and she oversees the firm's housing and community work across the Midwest. Today, however, we're going to talk about senior living. Welcome, Susan. It's really great to have you. Um, so why don't you just start a bit, but just, I gave a little bit of an intro about yourself. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and perhaps how you got into the senior living practice and, and kind of why that's your focus? Sure. Yeah. So as a younger professional or a less experienced professional, we like to say today, I worked on a lot of different types of buildings, became a licensed architect and all of that. And you kind of hit that, you know, 10 years out of college kind of mode where you're starting to focus on what you're going to spend the rest of your career on, basically, or at least that's how I looked at it. And I made a concerted effort to move from the firm I was with to a firm that was focused more on, I wanted to have more of an impact on people's day-to-day lives. So housing was one of the, the types of practices I looked for and interviewed with. And I landed um, in the Chicago office of what be- that is now HED, and where they had a strong housing practice. And at that time, uh, senior living was was part of it, and that was a, a long time ago. So we are, you know, we've been doing this for a while. And as a young person entering into a housing practice, I've kind of have grown with HED and the whole evolution of senior living. Because, uh, not to give away my age, since we're talking about age today and birthdays, um, that was I joined the firm in um, 1997. So, uh, and my very first project with um, then they were called Environ. Uh, was a large senior living, independent senior living project in Calumet City, and our client was Catholic Charities. And so that was where I cut my teeth on on the independent portion of senior living, which I think we're going to be talking about how that's even evolved today into other things like active adults and all of that. Great. So. Well, I'm sure over the 25 years or so that you've been focused on senior living, the industry has certainly changed. Uh, we have the baby boomer generation becoming the primary consumer, I guess you could say, of, of, uh, of senior living facilities. Uh, perhaps millennials, which is the next largest or currently largest cohort, are making decisions for some of those baby boomers. So uh, we'll talk about how those preferences have changed or generationally how preferences change. But why don't we first uh, define for the listeners today, you know, senior living is a broad uh, general rubric. Uh, but there's different types of living within senior living. So if you could just take us through the different types of of senior living facilities. Yes. And uh, before I do that, I'll even say within what today, and we'll come back to this later, I'm sure, but uh, within that independent 
category we're even seeing a division of active adult is the current you know the current new thing on the block new kid on the block in terms of senior living but so if we start at the independent lane at the independent end kind of work our way across it all has to do with what kind of care you need as you age and one of the things that I like to say is it's, it's not about like everybody wants to put it in these buckets like 50 to 60 you're gonna do this or 60 to 70 but you know what age is just a number and it's really about your health and so that's what determines what level of care that you need uh, when you talk about senior living. So uh, it, so active adults, I would say, is the beginning of the spectrum today. So that is, um, I guess it's, it's the baby boomers, the Gen Xers. Um, I like to joke, and I, I'm probably in this category, but I like to joke there's a lot of maybe a little denial going on. They're like, we're not seniors, we're, act- we're active, and there's a lot of controversy about what that means, as you can imagine. Fair housing has a little issue with that, um, but they're they're they are the active adult group is saying we don't even want to be called independent senior living because we're not seniors. <laughs> so that's a new and exciting area that we can delve into later. So that's first. Then you independent living traditionally is often associated with um, what we call continuum of care and often a campus where uh, seniors enter, you know, so 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, somebody in their 50s or 60s would enter a, an independent campus with the intent that they would, they wanted to stay there and move up in the, as they needed more care, they wouldn't have to leave their community, they wouldn't leave the campus. They, as they aged and their health failed, they would move into assisted, but not have to leave their, you know, their friends. And you know, and then move into skilled nursing as as they go, uh, you know, as they age or as their health uh, aged them, for, aged for them, whatever, however you want to say that. So, um, okay, so we said independent. That means you are in an age restricted apartment building, no children. Uh, it's a choice. Um, you're around other people your age or older or whatever, and you you build, you know, you foster community, which is so important as we age to have a good a social good social network and there's all kinds of science out evidence out now on the importance of that to your health so uh, then you know as your health fails and you find whether it's memory issues or you know whatever that you just need a little more help um, that's where assisted living comes into play and so then it starts to become a little more regulated um, and uh, and there may be nursing, you know, nursing care provided as part of your living arrangement. Um, and there, there's a whole test that you qualify to be in assisted living. They call them the DLAs, daily living activities. I don't know the exact number, but if you can't do a certain number of those, that's what kind of qualifies you there um, into that kind of setting. And sometimes there's also uh, Medi- Medicaid or Medicare that you you know, also qualify for to help pay for that if you need to. Uh, so that's assisted. And then skilled nursing, which is really the the older type of senior living, you know, if you go back to 1970 or 1980s, before the 1987 law that started regulating skilled nursing, um, uh, it was more, that was much more an institutional healthcare setting. And so really, I, what I kind of like about it is over my career, because that passed in 87, uh, and that's where you really started to see assisted living start evolving in the last century. And it was you know, a lot of really you know, people um, that came together that fought for those regulations that, that recognized there needed to be something in between, I'm living in my house that I lived in my whole life, 
and all of a sudden I'm in a hospital setting and there was nothing in between. So that all really started last century. And, uh, and we're still working on it, you know, it's still evolving today. Um, but a lot of people don't really realize that evolution, um, you know, that, that it didn't, we didn't just one day wake up and have assisted living. It's been a lot of people advocating for the rights, you know, the rights and care quality of senior living. And so where did I stop? So it's skilled nursing. Um, and so that's why in the uh, economically, I think there's, uh, you know, you see more and more assisted places and that's what people want or even now, you know, independent or active adult and less and less the the skilled nursing is like last step we don't nobody really wants to end up there right right <laughs> yes so. it, it's it's interesting what you just said because i think if i i reflect back um there was only the nursing home right that i think i remember you know people talking about so and so went to the nursing home right and today it's really um a somewhat a lifestyle choice as well as an ability choice or ability uh issue um, that you have different uh, types of, of senior facilities, right? So it's in real estate, it's kind of interesting. So it's no different than, let's say, the hotel segment that has a type of hotel that appeals to a single person who's traveling on their own versus a family or resort. Or as I was saying earlier, on the housing segment, you have student housing, you know, small multifamily, luxury multifamily. Today, we have a newer segment. I mean, the last 10 years of single family rentals. That didn't exist 10 years ago or didn't exist any broad category, institutional level. So it sounds like the senior living re, uh, real estate segment has also fragmented, I don't know, fragmented or is, has, has specific sectors divide, designed to different phases of life. Uh, and that, that first one, the active adult, to some extent is really, I think what I'm hearing is really just a different type of multifamily where people kind of want to be with each other. Maybe they don't want to take care of a house. They don't want a mortgage responsibility, but they know they might have some needs or something like that. Um, to some extent, that's almost multifamily targeted a particular segment. So interesting. Thank you for uh, delineating those. Um, is there a difference in type of sort of design and, you know, in, of those different types of properties at different groups? You know, kind of what kind of amenities might be on site, um, safety or security or wellness features, things like that? Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, to all that. Uh, yeah, and I'll start again with the the active adult. What what amuses me somewhat about that is, um, you know, they don't want to be called seniors, but they do want the age restriction. So again, it's a choice, right? I mean, some people would would rather age in a multi, you know, a multi generation or an intergenerational setting, and some people would like to just be with other people, kind of in their age bracket, and don't want to be around kids. They're done being parents. They don't necessarily need that kid interaction or maybe they have a lot of grandkids that are nearby or or whatever but I do think that that's one of the, because otherwise it's it is an apartment building with you know with a lot of amenities or they tend to be um, I, the ideal ones are in some uh, urban or semi-urban setting where they can be walk up you know they can walk down the street and go to a restaurant so as opposed if I compare it to um what they now call life plan community or so LPC, which used to be called the CCRC. So um, changing term uh, where, um, so the, what I call the traditional senior living campus where you'd all, you'd, the developer would have to bring in a lot of food service and all of this. The active adults, the idea is your site already has those things built. And this is an apartment building that probably has, you know, wellness, fitness thing, you know, workout rooms, those kinds of things, but very not different from, 
the you know the young adults coming out you know graduating um, the you know I guess it's the millennials that want smaller units more community space right. that's what to me that's the active adult model too and not necessarily food service right on the site so that makes it less expensive to build for the developer but because of the, where the site is it's probably a desirable site because there's walkable stuff the land, the land, the land cost op yeah. is yeah. often the obstacle to you know get the site at a price that then makes the whole thing. So I think what you're saying is the amenities could be sort of in-house or they could be a factor of the location. Right. Um, as with a department store or a um, multifamily, would you ever – do any of these developers incorporate external parties to operate sort of like, let's say, a Starbucks or cafe – Type set, you know, within their, you know, almost like um, like the ground floor retail in an urban center. I mean, so they have a little, you know, as an active adult, you have a little bit of kind of the best of both worlds. Right. Yeah. I, I think, yes, in some cases where they bring it in if it's not already there, but then, yeah. But like I said, I think the ideal is a walkable neighborhood. Right. Because also, you know, driving sometimes becomes a challenge as we age too. So that's where I think the walkability piece um you know, becomes a priority. So if the developer can get the right site that already has amenities there, that's like the ideal situation on that end. And then as, you know, so that's kind of that category, um, this, what we call now independent living that's attached to a, a life plan community. Um, again, whether or not somewhere on the campus, there's there's dining options. And one of the things that kind of the, the CARE Act or what we've seen evolve um, with the with the dining programs is the importance of uh, smaller settings um, noise acoustics is really important because you know we another thing that happens as we age you, you you lose your ability to hear and it's just much more healthy to be able to sit kind of like we are to, you know in a smaller setting not in the early independently you know, giant dining rooms well those are just loud and can be confusing especially as you head towards assisted living and you maybe are having a little you know memory and disorientation issues um, that this kind of smaller setting has proven to be better to promote your health over over time so then of course that means there's more and it's probably it's more expensive if you're going to have a decentralized kitchen or have you know more than one kitchen with the smaller settings and how do you service all of that um, but but food and meals um, on the, from an independent assisted living even into skilled are food is always really important right uh, we, all, we my husband and I always have a joke about that like it's all about the food you know kind of right, like and right. when you're if you unfortunately have to be in a hospital you know you know it all becomes about what's the meal what's the meal going to be today but it's at the essence of that is how important food Understood. food is and it's also the place where you come together and socialize right. and right. if you have a meal program so so let's, I don't want to dig a little bit deeper on the design elements you touched on. <clears throat> I'm thinking, so if I were a, what is called a value add investor in real estate, looking for a property um, that is perhaps a little out of date with today's standards, I'm going to enhance it. So, you know, when I think of some of senior living facilities, I might think of somewhat of an institutional setting, kind of, kind of that carpeting that no one would notice because if you spilled on and kind of very bland chairs and so forth. If I were an investor or a new developer, would I be designing space to be more current? In other words, kind of a more open feeling, a in a cafe type area where you might sit. Um, you know, less of a I don't know. As I said, institutional kind of food setting, more making it more home feeling. Mm -hmm. are, are design elements like that getting into the senior living sector? 
Yes. Yeah. Home-like is a word we use a lot. And, and that goes back to sort of the, con you know, uh, the contrasting against the institutional hospital setting. And what we try to do is, um, is not that. <laughs> You know, we try to make it, it's home-like, it's your home, it's not institutional. So, uh, and that has to do with the type of space, the type of furniture, color is important. Um, but then, but with color, also making sure you're being sensitive to the aging eye because we see color differently. Um, you don't want to make like too much contrast. Like I'll say, I'll use carpet as an example. Um, you don't want to have uh, a really contrasty border, like some, you know, long corridor, but you want to break it up. But problem like with seniors that's a concern because they some seniors will see that contrast as a step mm. and if they think they think oh I have to step up and then they trip and then they fall and we all don't want to fall <laughs> so so it's that kind of um, design sensitivity around the nuances of of what is what it means to be getting older right so even in senior f housing or senior living, you know, the developers and owners, investors are incorporating things that people would want in their everyday life or the, you know, the pre-senior living life. They like the experience of, um, you know, going, sitting and having a coffee with somebody in there without having it feel institutional and kind of a white cup or, you know, very right. sanitized <laughs> version. Foam but cup. <laughs> yeah, just something a little bit more, as you just said, a little bit more homey. I imagine since the baby boomer generation is the primary consumer, if you will, of the current or, or incoming uh, occupant of a senior housing facility, um, and, and boomers are, are thought to have you know health and wealth. In prior years, they're living longer. Uh, they've had they've they've had a good living, and they they can retire. Hopefully, many of them can retire well. Has that changed what developers are incorporating in to address the baby boom generation? Has it changed versus maybe what would have been developed 20 or 25 years ago? Um, yes, I think so. So, yeah, so I'll talk about two things. I'll finish sort of a thought on the, the food because I think that's part of the big um, – because it has to do with choice, right? Mm -hmm. want lots of options. And so um, to what I was saying earlier about the smaller areas, but also the, the what you were saying, the coffee – they want uh, twenty, you know. They want twenty-four hour food options, right? So, again, twenty years, thirty years ago, the early uh, campuses, um, it was like, well, lunch is always from eleven thirty to one thirty. That's not that doesn't fly today. It's you know, I I don't eat lunch at whatever eleven thirty. Right. I eat it at two. Whatever, you like this whole like, you know, I'm gonna live my life the way I want to live my life, and so I have to have. 24-hour bistro, right? So, so that's a so, whatever kind of dining room there is, there's always an ancillary, 20 more, way more flexible, food option for to so that people can not you know be have their life dictated by the hours the dining room is open. So that's one thing, and then on the other side, I think and especially you know this was probably happening. It was before COVID too, but you know COVID escalated everything. Um, I think the unit sizes um, are bigger, especially in the market rate, the higher the higher end kind of, you know, for the, I guess, those who <laughs> have their retirement savings and can pay or whatever for more space. I think that um, there's a move towards a little bit bigger unit and whether or not it's a, not necessarily an extra bedroom or a bedroom that can flex as um, a work, uh, you know, an office space or I guess we call it a den, right? Uh, because I think that people don't necessarily retire at 65 either. 
they, you know, they might work part-time after 65 or 67 or well, you know, my father-in-law is, is a professor. He's 82 and he's just now thinking he's at the University of Chicago. He said, maybe I'll retire. And only in the last year, he used to always tell me, no, I'm never going to retire. And it's, you know, that's just been a recent change, but I'm like, <laughs> you're 82. So anyway. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that brings up a great point about how in the past uh, the unit mix might have been, I don't know what square footage, but a, a basically a room, you know, kind of a fancy hospital room, if you will. I hate to say that, but that might have been the way it was 30 years ago. Um, today, something, as you said, is more homelike. And then perhaps a second room, if you can afford it, for yeah, people can certainly. I mean, I have a, a parent who's in their her. My mom is her early nineties. She was a consultant into her eighties. So if she had lived, she doesn't currently. But if she had lived in that place, she would have enjoyed that. Not to mention, you can use that for children visiting or grandchildren. So it's that a little bit of that kind of blending of multifamily apartment life with the amenities and care of a senior facility. So interesting how that, that involves, and that's certainly uh, something to think about as developers and investors. Uh, you touched on COVID-19 a moment ago, and I know we all hate to kind of go back to that era, but did it spark a change in design or expectations, or have we, yes, it's good in a wave, and, and there was some really unfortunate news in, in senior housing early on, at least, um, but has, has it just kind of gone back to normal? Where are we at in terms of adjustments made yeah. for uh, in reaction yeah. to COVID-19? Good question. Um, yeah, because it's it's good and bad, right? So uh, I think on the the good side of the you know today uh, pre post whatever post COVID, um, I think uh, air quality is better uh, for everybody, not just in senior living, but I think um, uh, you know I, I led our uh, our firms for as a national leader of sustainable design for several years, and uh, so I like to bring that up now because like we all. You know, pre-COVID, we were all preaching good in indoor air quality is so important. And I think that um, COVID made that make sense to people, right? Because I'm not a mechanical engineer, but air changes, you know, more, everybody gets it. <laughs> so, right. Fresh air, access to fresh air. Right, like that, right, right. 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 That, that, yeah, that and um, biophilia. So access, direct access to nature and how, again, how important that is for our well-being in the senior living, how you know, important that is for our circadian rhythm. So uh, so I think those are two things that a lot of people were advocating before, and especially biophilia, sometimes, oh, it's a little bit corny. You know, it seems like it's like, oh, no, during 2020 and 2021, everyone got that, like what it meant to be outside. It, it, it heightened everyone's appreciation, especially like in urban settings. Um, when we, you know, we're sitting here in Chicago. We had the lakefront taken away from us <laughs> for over a year. And so the importance of you know, whether individual space, a small balcony, um, something that you could just step outside and know what the weather is, but then also larger spaces where people can gather safely um, in a situation like that. You know, God forbid, hopefully we don't have that again. But I think um, the appreciation on the client side, the developer side, um, they realized they could sell that now. And maybe before, again, balconies are always questionable in Chicago um, because of, you know, our we don't have a lot of really warm months. And so it's always like, well, does that really make sense here? But I think um, now it, it does for a lot of people. Right. So from a general design standpoint, quality, a clean, you know, quality air filtration, things that I don't have a lot of expertise in, but, they, but engineers certainly can, right. can bring to you know, right. quality that maybe you find 
uh, on an airplane, which I know a lot of people think is not particularly clean, but is very filtered air on airplanes. Uh, you can bring that into the building setting as well, um, as well as access to outdoor space or fresh air or plants and things like that. Um, and again, less in that institutional closed environment, more of an open environment, which frankly, many consumers of multifamily are looking for as well, right? right? They're looking for that outdoor space. Right. You know, speaking of just thinking about other preferences of baby boomers, um, something like 25 million baby boomers own pets, right? So we talked a little bit about the preference to have like, say, a cafe, which I know I would certainly want if I were in that kind of facility. Um, but what other kind of accommodations have taken place to adjust for the preferences of the baby boomer generation? Like, can you have a pet? I mean, does that mean a senior living facility needs a pet run like a luxury multifamily facility? I mean, that's kind of an interesting concept. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's actually one of my favorite projects right now is under construction. And one of my favorite things about it is um, it's in Chicago Heights. It's, it's affordable. It's not senior specific. It's actually um targeting uh, veterans. Uh, so, but for the first time, that was the first time that um, we have, well, of course, with the veteran population, it's service pets, right? But we have a pet wash and we have we have a, a dog run, you know? I'm, I kind of worried about the cats, but they're allowed to have, you know, they're, it's the first project I've done in my life where we were allowed to, you know, the, the residents are allowed to have pets. So I think it's a definite, and I'm seeing that on the, the affordable housing end of things. So certainly I think that um, that's maybe almost a given now in the luxury. Right. Yeah. Right. Senior thing. Yeah. You yeah. expect uh, a building, I guess, it, I, I guess my expectation is it would in the past, it would have been, you bring the service pet to the facility for the day. Someone brings everyone pets, the animal, and then they go home. But in today's expectation is the occupants, the tenants actually expect to be able to have their pet. Yeah. And very similar to a luxury apartment building, you need a place for the pet to go you use the facilities, the pet to wash the pet, take the pet for a run, or to have a dog walker come and take the pet for a run. All those things yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, come into play. Yeah, so, sorry, yeah, you just reminded me of another, uh, another animal um, uh, event, I guess, <laughs> what you want to call it, but uh, another project that had animals in it that I kind of forgot about because we didn't, it wasn't part of our design, but after, part of the programming afterwards, this is down in um, South Chicago, uh, and it, it was also affordable. They had um, both, uh, um, Illinois has this supportive living facility program that's affordable senior living. So one phase was that and the other was independent. But they had, they worked with a nearby shelter and it was called they, the C-Spot Retire program. So they had a couple of dogs that lived in the, the, the that they'd come from a shelter and lived in the facility with this, you know, so it was a common pet, right? So right, it's really right. fun. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, you go to a store and they have the store cat or whatever greet you. You know, same right. idea. I think people right. are very accustomed to that today, and it's interesting how it's uh, come into the senior living space as well. Uh, you touched on something else that made me think about just in terms of like an investment class. Like you, we talked about the different stages of life, right, or, or state preferences in terms of ability and what they want. But then there's also, you, you touch on the affordable housing aspect or a project that's targeted for particular populations such as veterans or Catholic charities and things like that, um, which is also interesting because just like multifamily, there's affordable housing multifamily, there's market rate multifamily, there's luxury, right? So the, the, the uh, segments of the market, you know, they're, they're not just the living style, 
but then there there's different economics of that. Do you see, I guess, well, let me ask you just from a general standpoint as an architect, what is the demand like for designing facilities? I think my understanding is occupancy is pretty high at senior facilities. Uh, rental rate increases are pretty, are pretty healthy. Uh, from a real estate investor standpoint, are you seeing a pretty strong demand for development or modification yeah. of senior facilities? Uh, yes. Um, I guess it's a short answer is yes, but, uh, but also um, the new, you know, in the past year or two, so we've been chasing a lot of um, active adult uh, projects and the stumbling block, they, they seem to not move forward because of either land costs, there's a lot of uncertainty right now and the, the inflation and all of that. So we, we see a lot, so we're pursuing a lot of that right now, but we're seeing it not happen because of uncertainty if you want to call it that. So I think there's demand, but there's it's kind of balanced uh, or unbalanced right now. Things aren't moving forward. And we've had a, um, a really great project in our near our California. So we have offices across the country, but our Los Angeles office um, that's been on hold, unfortunately, since uh, for the past two years because the financial piece of it. And that, that one is actually, I mean, it's a big campus. I think it's a 17-acre campus. And uh it's what I would again call the traditional. It's not the the active at all. It's the full independent, assisted, um, and skilled even. So I'm hoping that one gets to move forward soon. But um, but so we I'm seeing a lot of things right like right now today just a little bit of stalled out things. But then also we have um, I mentioned veterans is under construction. So on the affordable side of things, just the demand is huge for all kinds. Of housing, right? Not just senior living. So um, there, it's just slowed down by our you know, our red tape, our permitting, our whatever, you know. Unfortunately, so uh, so I don't think that's going anywhere. I think it's a, a solid um, area for in the affordable part. And then we also have here in Chicago um, a small project that uh, is um, an addition and repositioning of an of a of an old campus and I meant to, I was going to jump in and say this earlier when we you said you know used to be you just went to the nursing home that was it that was your only choice um, but uh, I was going to take you back even further and say the, the term I really like that I think we should go back to is rest home. Remember, yeah, I mean, a, I, a, I don't. I'll just say I don't think I was rest home. Well, I wasn't old enough for that one, but I would prefer not to think about that. <laughs> right? Okay. Well, so well, and maybe I only revisited that. I do remember that as a child, but I I revisited it when we first started because it, it. If you look around Chicago, and this client is actually the Danish home, and a lot of the times those early rest homes in this country, uh, yeah. it was by where you were from, whether, um, and a lot of them have rebranded. Like we did work for many years with the British home. Um, there's the Danish home. There's, uh, there used to be, I think the Scottish home, but a lot, many of them have changed their names. Like British home is no longer called that. It's cantata. You know, they rebranded. Um, but the interesting thing, so the, the project I was mentioning is with the Danish home on, uh, here in Norwood park. And, um, they kept, they hung on to their, that, they use that as it's a differentiator for them. You don't have to be Danish to live there, but they they uh, prize that that cultural relationship. Um, so it, it makes them a little bit unique, and it's small. It's a smaller campus there. It always has been, and um, we're only adding at the end of the day. We're adding, I think, five to ten beds. Um, it's a small number, but. Uh, but what's in the so I think that brings their population up to 50 or 60 instead of 40 to 50 
Uh, but the other part of our work has been, you know, they had the old school kind of shared rooms, you know, so just, so part of the, it, we're making the rooms all private. And so even though we're building more, it's one person, not two, you know, so that kind of thing is still going on in terms of campus repositioning of older places. And they're, you know, they've been there for over a hundred years. It's interesting from, as I was saying earlier, from an investment standpoint, that would be called a value add in real estate, right? You look at a facility that well-located has a good population, um, you know, stream of potential clients, right? But it's not up to today's standards. So no different from a family having two kids that share a bedroom. No one wants to do that anymore, rare at least. Um, and everyone wants their own room. Not not surprising, particularly in the post-COVID era. Um, but that's the kind of property that someone can bring up to market standards. Right. And then um, you have a new addressable population of, of tenants. Um, can what, I go? Can I go back to the rest thing? Absolutely. I'm thinking out loud because I hadn't really thought about it. But what a great contrast between. So what I liked about rest was just it'd be nice to take a little rest. <laughs> like I don't necessarily see that as a negative. But the other thing is today, like going wow. So we went from rest home, calling it that, to to saying, oh, no, we're like the opposite. Right, like, right. we're not resting, we're active. So that's sort of yeah, that, that's I, I, amusing. I wonder if, that, I don't know if that's because people stayed within a family home longer and then only when the family couldn't take care of them. I don't really know. Yeah, Today, yeah. it could be a proactive choice to, I want to go to a community that's sort of, I don't need to take care of the property, but I want exactly. all the amenities. Right. That's, that's a that's... different stage of life and a different choice. Yes. And a different, you know, as we're talking real estate, a different asset class, a right. different population. Uh, one thing I was we were, was thinking about, I mean, the, they're, they're like all housing right now in America. Um, there is a um, you know, shortage, it seems to be, across to be it affordable or just market rate housing. And I think it, it's also been proven or demonstrated in the senior housing. There's a shortage. There's an increase in rents and so forth. Are you seeing that the projects themselves are getting larger? Is there, you know, because of what you mentioned, I mean, there's a stall in economic, in real estate today in general, simply because financing doesn't make sense or their lenders are, are not willing to lend on it. <clears throat> that will change in time. So there's a, just a, a, not to mention there's cost of materials and labor for construction, all kinds of things obviously come into the equation. But to make a project make sense, sometimes the developer just has to go larger, mm -hmm. right? Is that something you've seen or are people yeah. trying to keep them? Like, I don't know what a large senior facility would be versus a small in terms of how many uh, units there are. But is that at all a trend? I, you know, there's a, I yeah, I, yeah, it's complicated. I think um, yeah, there's a sweet spot, right, that the develop, you know, that makes, is going to make sense for act, for the active adult. Right. And I, I don't know really what that size is. But then I want to say Danish Home, I think, is very unique and it's not a private developer. Right. It's them. They had to they had to raise all their own, do a campaign and raise all their um, money by donations and all of that. So it's so it's private, but it's not the developer like you're talking about where it's like it's got a pencil necessarily. And I think that contributes to the. The, that I think Danish Home is a unique situation, right. right? Where part of its charm is the fact that it's small, um, and so uh, yeah. So on the other side, right for the for things to pencil, I think there is. I don't know what it is, but I think there is a sweet spot. Whether it's two hundred units, um, it's going to depend on the site, how tall you can build. If it's in an urban setting, it'll end up being a taller 
uh, you know, a taller building, then it becomes a high rise. And that has a lot of costs associated with it. So everything is sort of balanced out. But then you're in an urban setting, maybe you don't have to have the big meal program and and all of that. And then the, the one I mentioned that was stalled out in California right now, I um, that's the only one we have right now that is, you know, the full, trying to build the full campus from scratch. Um, we're not seeing a ton of that right now. It makes sense. The economics of development right now are just a little uncertain until, you know, interest rates and some other things right. levels, out. levels out, right? Yeah. Just maybe one last thing to explore because you just touched on it is uh, to some extent, I would think of active living and senior living communities being in suburban or rural locations because people want a pastoral setting to kind of relax as we use a rest as we used the term earlier. But do you see, has there been any, any something, any trend that you've seen in terms of demand or focus on building in urban areas so that uh, the senior adults can be closer to their children, for example, uh, or they, or it's simply the demand for more urban amenities. Is, is there a trend at all that you've noticed? I think so. Yeah. Yes, and then but then the trick is the land cost. It seems right. like the yes, but yeah, I think that is definitely a trend. It's funny you said they want to be near their children, or is it that their children want to be near them? Right, fair enough. <laughs> right. Both ways works both ways. But yeah, I do think that's a trend for sure. Yeah, and it's something that I'm excited about too. Like yeah, because I yeah, I'm very much a city person, so I like to focus on senior living in the city. Right, if I can, or vertical vertical senior living, I call it. Well, and you mentioned one other thing earlier, and I don't know if developments have gone this direction, but there is, you know, uh, there have been studies that you know intergenerational living is a positive. I don't, I don't know if I can think of a development that would have like multifamily, you know, housing for, let's say, open to the community, open at any age, non age restricted, right? I think that's the phrase, and senior housing adjacent or something like that, where you could have common spaces where. You know, seniors could see young children playing in the yard or something like. That. Have you seen developments like there, that? There, there are. There, you would think there would be more of them than there that were intentional that way. But there are some. I can't. We have not. I've, I've not. We've not done one like that. Um, I did work on. Again, it was in the, from the affordable side. Um, here in Chicago, it's it's out on um, on. Um, Roosevelt, Roosevelt Road, kind of North Lawndale neighborhood. But uh, the idea there was, um, and it's not big, it was 58 units, but it was actually a five-story building. Uh, but the idea originally was grand families and a mix of grand families and um, youth aging out of the foster care um, setting. And uh, right after we started um, planning it, uh, the grand family program kind of morphed into kinship families because they didn't want to limit it. They wanted it to be open also to, or there was a need for, maybe still is, um, an aunt taking care of a sibling. You know, maybe the sibling had passed away and they inherited the kids or whatever. So they didn't want to limit it to just grandparents raising grandchildren. So, um, and the dream there was that, um, so a lot of times those, those are foster kids in a way, you know, because of how that evolves. And so then the, the foster, um, the, the young adult foster, foster care apartments were smaller uh, apartments. They were like 440, I think, square feet. And the dream was that the kids that were living in the, with their grandparents would age 18, 20, starting to get out, and then they would move you know, around the corner, down the hall, to the young adult wing, and um, 
you know, that would be their launching pad out into, you know, th their adult lives. But it was also the fact that it was surprising to me at the time that there was that need for the foster, um, that once a foster care kid turns 18, what do they do kind of thing? Because they're no longer in that program so that there was this housing need for them. So, um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I can't, I want to say there's, you know, if you, I guess if you Google it, there's some um, intentional places. I want to say there's one in Portland, in the in Oregon that I'm not thinking of the name of, and there's also one in um, like eight, one or two probably on the East Coast. I want to say in either D.C. or um, Baltimore that you could find um, where they intentionally uh, planned it that way, and, and I think they're tremendously successful. And I yeah, I'd like to see more of that. For sure. And the other kind of similar thing to that, and there is an older building here um, in Chicago, I think it's called the Natalie Salmon, Salmon, something like that. Um, it was named for um, a woman. Uh, uh, yeah, a woman, obviously, Natalie Salmon. Uh, but anyway, it's near the um, either Loyola it's, uh, or uh, Northwestern campus. And the idea was uh, to have a program where the students at those universities um, want to have like a reduced rent for being a companion to a senior, you know, an older resident. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. And so again, I, I think that was done in the last century. And what a great idea. And you would think something like that would take off and there'd be more of it. But that's the only one that I know of in the city. Wow. Yeah. So, Susan's very interesting. A lot of different angles here. Um, <clears throat> both, you know, we're giving actually some ideas in my mind to some budding developers, right, to come up with a different a model. Uh, perhaps it makes a model more viable, right? If you uh, or, or acceptable to a community, if you're incorporating both senior housing, maybe affordable, intergenerational, lots of things to think about. But so, Susan, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, it's really been an enjoyable conversation exploring uh, the senior living segment. Uh, I have a couple of takeaways. First of all, that uh, what we do, even over the span of 25 years, focusing the the segment is is really not just grown because the population is aging, but it has segmented into very distinct um, age age and ability categories right, right. or marketing categories, maybe to some degree, right? Active adults, assisted living, independent living, and now we've identified intergenerational and other things. Um, the amenities have certainly changed, right? So they're less institutional. There's more investment in attention to, um, I don't know, call it, you know, current lifestyles in terms of food choices, decor, design, focus on health, and 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 perhaps green, we didn't talk about it, perhaps green elements as well. Uh, and it sounds like there's, you know, just like in the multifamily or the hospitality space, there's still room to grow and continue to segment mm -hmm. uh, in, into the future. So again, thank you so much for, for having an engaging conversation with us today. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. I know our listeners did as well. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Again, this is Dan Spiegel, Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Cobalt Banker Commercial. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast on CRE with CBC Worldwide. And please like and follow. And we look forward to having you as a listener sometime soon.